0: Right now on Fast, an amazing surge for Amazon and Apple on the move higher. The tech titans beating the street and sounding relatively upbeat about the road ahead. We'll go inside the numbers. Plus, stocks shrugging off the negative GDP print and the talk of a looming recession. A two-day winning streak for the markets. And for the month, the S&P is up more than 7%. Did the spring slump set us up for a summer surge? And later, diving into today's fast movers, investors cutting the cord on Comcast, tech troubles in China, Ford's revved up results, and Etsy's crafty rebound. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Bono, and Ison, and Courtney Garcia, and we start off with a big night of tech earnings. Check out the action: Apple, Amazon, Intel, and Roku after reporting results. Our CNBC All-Star reporters lined up, ready to go. The Apple, Intel, and Roku conference calls just kicking off. Let's get straight to Steve Kovac to break down Apple's quarter, Steve.
2: Yeah, Mel, let's really talk about foreign exchange here. This is uh, something we're already seeing the impacts of on Apple's last quarter. I got off the phone with Tim Cook earlier this afternoon, and he told me those foreign exchange headwinds are partially to blame for that 10% drop in max sales that they just reported. Now, Apple doesn't give formal guidance. They haven't during the entire pandemic, but you can bet that this call is going, uh, that's just starting right now, is the foreign exchange is going to be the whole theme. How bad was it, and what is Apple going to do? to mitigate it. I asked CFO Luca Maestri about just that. He told me, quote, and then, of course, at some point, we know in certain markets, it becomes more and more difficult to hold prices. So let me translate that for you guys. It means prices for some Apple products are going to go up in those regions where the dollar is especially weak. Now, the call is just kicking off right now, and I'll come back to you with any updates on this foreign exchange. headwinds. Mel.
0: Uh, Steve, did Maestri talk about the macro environment, about consumer demand? No, we you? did
2: not get into that. But you can bet on the call that he's going to get a ton of questions on that now.
0: Yeah. OK, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac. Thanks. Um, we were all worried about Apple. Knickers in a twist, Guy, because Apple ran up so strongly going into this print. And here we are with a gain of four percent after hours.
3: Yeah, I don't know what knickers are. And if they're in a twist, it sounds painful. But that's probably for another show. a Another time slot. And listen, we've been saying I you know we Apple ran into earnings. You know, we sort of thought that was gonna happen. I thought the quarter would disappoint. Clearly that's not coming to fruition. But you start to look at the numbers, I mean service revenues, which I think people were concerned about. Katie Huberty pointed that out a month and a half or so. They came in at twenty-three percent of their overall revenues. That's pretty much in line with where it's been. But then you look at it, I mean, two percent year over year revenue growth. That's the slowest we've seen in a couple of years. And at current levels, even if you say they're going to earn close to $7 next year, which is probably the higher end of guidance, you're still talking about a company that's now trading at this price at 23 times those numbers. So I think it's sort of run its course. I think. We'll see how it plays out. But I thought for a while the broader market would run into Apple earnings 4100. That's playing out. I thought it would reverse on this. Let's see what happens. Yeah,
0: they did comment about supply chain issues, saying that the cost of sales uh, to supply chain issues were a little less than $4 billion in the quarter. They also said they anticipated that the supply chain issues would be better in September versus uh, in the June quarter. They talked about ad sales, uh, Dan. So they did address some of these sort of macro concerns uh, as it relates to you know some of the headwinds the other tech giants are facing.
4: Yeah, I think in the investor letter it also said, Mel, that they're not seeing these macro concerns having an adverse Mm -hmm. effect on iPhone demand. I thought that was a really interesting comment. I also thought it was interesting that it sounds like they are pushing ahead with hiring. They are not slowing. I know there was some indications that they might be, and we've heard that from a lot of these kind of mega cap tech names over the last, let's say, month or so. So listen, you know, there's really nothing to knock at this one here. It's too bad they're not going to give a little bit of guidance. They did give that. Color as far as supply chains that you just mentioned. I'll just say this that the outperformance of Apple from the lows in June it doubled up the performance of the S&P 500. It's trading at 163 in the aftermarket here which is up about 25 percent from those lows. It is above its 200 day moving average. You will not find another mega cap tech name anywhere near its 200-day moving average, which just kind of shows you that outperformance. Yeah, some groups like the XLE, the large integrated oils, or the staples are above that. Um, listen, I think some technicians, some people who look at the importance of a name like Apple may say, this is how we bottom. I just don't think that's the case. When you think about what we just digested with this GDP print and the commentary from the Fed, it's fine that Apple's bucking that trend right now. We know that they're great options in difficult environments, I just kind of think about this a little bit differently, that it just will not be able, it's not going to end like this. You know what I mean? Now, I know that some of us were waiting for maybe Apple to kind of ring the bell a little bit and say and confirm some of our worst fears, but maybe it just gets pieced out over time a little bit.
0: Yeah, that could be it. And I mean, the confusing thing maybe for, for people at home might be that we heard Jerome Powell yesterday saying that the impact of rate hikes is lagged. And so the question here is, is what Apple saw in the most recent quarter, is that is that where we are? Is that where we're going? Or is where we're we going really a worse picture than what we just witnessed through this quarter, Courtney? Yeah,
5: you know, I think that's, that's what's really important to look at it with Apple, which um, I think Dan actually had a really good point here. They had an increase in their iPhone sales, which I find really promising. But if Qualcomm was any indication, we actually saw that they're expecting for smartphone sales to decrease demand. When we look at next quarter. So I think looking at last quarter is one thing. Moving forward, if we are still seeing that strongness in the consumer, which is really important, that can really lead to some positivity in the markets. And that's really what the markets are so happy to see right now is Fed came out, they raised interest rates, essentially what was expected. Uh, that was already priced in, and they're starting to see that inflation is there's some signs here that might be coming down later this year, early next. And that ultimately can be a good thing for the consumer over the long run.
0: So, Bonwin, is, is Apple a barometer or is Apple an exception?
6: Uh, I think going in, a lot of us thought that they might be the barometer for the overall general economy and, and how to best navigate through that. As you get to see more and more earnings, uh, it seems like they are actually the outlier. And to Dan's point earlier, that kind of sets up how you can have a case for you know, a declining market, but you still have these one-off bellwether stocks that are able to kind of hold. You know, we were concerned about China and supply chains. They seem to, to be able to navigate that. The the FX effect is is pretty much gonna affect all companies. So I don't think, you know, you can really part and parcel that. And then you were worried about gross margins kind of going forward and how they would go through this this current situation. They've held in strong in the mid 40s. Um, you know, you compare that to, I mean, it, it's very hard to compare, but you compare it to like, you know, a, a Roku or Netflix or, or, or countless others, uh, you are seeing increased divergence there. And while I thought, or actually had concern about Apple coming into this print, um, you know, I'm becoming more convinced that Apple and the market will continue to to diverge and that investors will continue to rush to the stock as a safe haven.
0: All right, let's get to the other uh, big tech name out, Amazon, uh, with earnings after the bell, the shares are jumping. They're up 12 and a half percent after hours, adding about $160 billion to market cap right now. Let's bring in Deidre Bosa to break down the quarter. Debo.
7: Melissa, here's the takeaway. Amazon took its medicine, a $6 billion charge in incremental costs earlier this year to clean house, and now it's back. Uh, It's in a pretty good position as well to sort of take advantage at a time when its competitors in a number of different businesses are now having to clean their own house. Um, It was such a contrast to Walmart in terms of consumer demand. It was a contrast to Shopify in terms of warehouse capacity and meta in terms of advertising. CFO Brian Olsalski just told me over the phone that there has been no slowdown in demand. In fact, it is increased and in-stock items returned to pre-pandemic levels. Um, he also said that they slowed their 22 and 23 operation expansion plans, so they are now better in line with demand. There's, that's speaking to that overcapacity issue. He even noted that Amazon's type of advertising performs well in a recessionary environment. And certainly we saw that in this past quarter. Advertising growth was 21 percent year over year. He said that would have actually been higher, but Prime Day was moved to Q3. One maybe worrying thing, Melissa, is he said that his comments on inflation, he said that he sees those pressures remaining and actually becoming stronger in the third quarter. Hopefully, we'll get more on that on the analyst call. Back to you.
0: All right, Debo, thank you. Let's trade uh, Amazon here, and, and Deirdre Bosa highlighted it in terms of the contrast to Walmart. So here's the same question, Guy. Is Amazon the barometer or is Amazon an exception?
3: Exception, for sure, because they think they're running their business better. I don't think it's necessarily... A barometer but they're clearly running it better and they decided that this will be a quarter where they flipped that operating margin switch and it came in at 2.7 percent with the street looking at 1.4 percent and aws hung in there um, i think that encourages people on the back of pretty much what microsoft said so i you know i look at this and say you know maybe microsoft should be selling off a bit uh in the after hours because they didn't operate nearly as well as amazon did but let's play stock market a little bit here Last night, I said it was a pair of twos. Well, if you were playing that hand, you flopped two more twos, and basically, you got four of a kind. So that's the good news. I think the bad news is this 138 level or thereabouts is where we bottomed out. If you go back in March 8th or thereabouts, this is where we stopped on the downside and then subsequently rallied uh, to 160 or so. So past support becomes resistance, and I think that's what's going to happen here in the form of Amazon at 138.
0: Does this seem, Courtney, like a like a good trade in in a rising inflation environment?
5: Yeah, I mean, you want the companies to have pricing power, and if they're clearly seeing the demand coming in, that maybe they do have that. Um, I think ultimately, some of my problems with Amazon are, and like a lot of your growth companies, is their valuations are still a lot higher. So it is part of our portfolio. It's not something I'm actively adding to. I definitely want to hold it for the longer run here right now. Um, But I think there's a lot of you know better valuations in the economy right now. That's not necessarily where I'm jumping in with two feet.
0: Yeah, Bonwin, what's your take on Amazon?
6: Yeah, I think it's a hold here as well. I mean, you have the cloud services which offset uh, some of the other areas that, you know, even if we're not seeing it all now, reading through the tea leaves, I think you continue to see consumer weakness going forward. And Amazon isn't uh, isn't going to be an exception in that case. The difference between them and a Walmart, amongst other things, is that they do have that cloud and, and other areas to kind of buoy the rest of the business.
0: Yeah. Dan, you're talking about cloud Um, and and Guy was mentioning how Microsoft should be trading in theory off in the after hours on the back of Amazon's strength in cloud.
4: Yeah. So I I do think it's interesting that a theme from Microsoft and Google over the course of the week is that the numbers held up, but they were worse than expected and they are decelerating. And when you look at AWS, while it's a good number too, it's also decelerating. And I just, I guess I wonder if you put all that together, maybe that is the thing that you want to focus on as far as what enterprise demand might look like as we go further into a recessionary environment. Let's not forget that a lot of these major companies other than Apple are just starting to cut costs here. And so I think that might be a really interesting theme to keep a track on because we know that some of the biggest companies in the world, but also many of the very smallest companies in the world, the ones that are really downsizing right now, rely on these cloud services. So if we start seeing a meaningful deceleration a couple quarters in a row, that might give us a better sense for some of the enterprise demand. The last thing, I'm really surprised, Guy must be distracted. He didn't key on those operating margins that we saw that beat for Amazon a little bit and you know Andrew Jazzy has been in this company for a long time excuse me Andy Jazzy and this is kind of the Amazon playbook right they spend they spend they spend then they kind of cut back a little bit they get that kind of leverage in their margins and that's when the stock starts working again this stock at its lows two months ago was down 46 percent from the time in which Andy Jazzy took over as CEO of the company and again I think this might be the period where they cut some costs they got rid of some of these kind of um, you know the warehouses cut some people, and now they're going to realize maybe higher margins um, for the next couple quarters in some of these businesses that they had invested in over the last two years.
0: So, Guy, what do you say to that?
4: I actually, I know you were
3: listening, because I actually said this is a the quarter they decided to run better, and mm-hmm. they came in with operating margins of 2.7%, with a street <laughs> looking at 1.4%. So they actually flipped that switch so dan obviously doesn't pay attention to me he knows it's (laughs) the cheapest thing you can do (laughs) all right
0: we'll uh we'll move on and we'll all pay attention to each other we've gotten through the heart of big tech earnings things don't seem that bad meta of course falling today after posting its first ever revenue decline but it didn't take the rest of the mega caps along with it microsoft and alphabet both rising again adding to their post earnings gains their moves higher coming despite missing top and bottom line expectations and take a look at this outside of big tech Walmart basically clawing back all the losses after its big warning on Monday for the week. It is almost flat. And even Best Buy, which dropped as much as 10 percent after cutting sales guidance last night, end of the day, up nearly 5 percent. So have we gotten to the point where the markets can actually look through? They look through to the bright side. They look through to Jerome Powell, maybe pivoting, maybe taking his foot off the the gas here when it comes to rate hikes, Bono, and we can proceed.
6: I think you can look through earnings because I think you've seen enough now that it's not going to be the apocalyptic decline that we all feared that it might be. Um, You know, a few of the panelists have mentioned that does not necessarily speak to guidance going forward um, as there's been quite a bit of dispersion there. As for looking through the Fed, uh, no, I think it's going to be a resounding no for me here. I think people generally kind of looked through and heard what they wanted to hear. I think the, the, the general consensus is that he had a bit of a dovish tone there, and, and I'm not sure I necessarily heard that. I heard dovish aspects of it, but he reiterated uh, um, dedication to fighting inflation. He mentioned that there would likely be, uh, you know, weakness in the labor market. He continued to say that, you know, in order for us to move forward in, in the right direction, you need to see growth well below, I, I think I think I quote him here, below um, uh, potential for a protracted period of time or for, a, or, or for a long period of time, a sustained period of time, something, something of that nature. And so all things, all things there, and then you couple in the fact that he's saying, listen, despite the two GDP readings, we're not in a recession, the labor market remains strong. I hear someone that's saying we're going to continue to focus on inflation, and while we continue to see this perceived strength in the labor market, that gives us the clear to continue forward on the path that we've set. We're going to be more uh, you know, data dependent and perhaps not give as much guidance into what the next cut may be, but if the data surprises to the upside, we're back to where we were before. So, no, I don't think you can read through that.
0: You know, going to earnings um and i know i know you thought this guy you know we thought that this earnings season would be particularly important when it came to guidance it would be particularly important in terms of what we're hearing about macro and how companies are dealing with it and here we are things are not that bad people who are worried about earnings season they sort of wanted to see that last shoe to drop and we didn't get that mm-hmm. so now what do you think do you no. think that we still have that shoe no, to clearly. drop or do you think you know what i will put that fear aside and go with what the companies are telling me now.
3: No, I'm going I'm to say you're right in that we didn't get what I thought would happen in terms of some of these forward guidance without question. But, you know, I think that cloud is still out there. And in terms of Microsoft specifically, I mean, we'll go back and just look at the reaction. The initial reaction, which a stock that closed around 254 that day, was to sell it off down to 242 It reversed, and I know you know this, on the back of commentary that they weren't seeing demand destruction. Okay, I'll give them that. It doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. And you hear from other companies and people are laying people off, cutting back without question. You hear what ServiceNow said again, not a bellwether by any stretch, but it definitely has some ripple effects. And I think we're gonna see it. Now, maybe I was early thinking we were gonna see it now, but I think it's just a matter of time. In terms of the Fed quickly, I mean, again, we said it last night, people hear what they wanna hear and they disregard everything else. And I think that's what's happening now. But if the Fed is, in fact, pivoting, which I don't think is going to happen, and Steve Leisman last night said that he heard it is hawkish, but let's just play it out. You know what's going to happen? The commodity market is going to explode to the upside, and the inflation problem that they're still way behind is just going to get worse.
0: All right, coming up. More on today's surprise negative GDP print, what it means for stocks, the consumer, the housing market. Top economist David Rosenberg joins us in just a few to break it all down. But first, we've got more after hours action coming your way. Intel and Roku dropping hard. We'll bring you all the numbers next. Don't go anywhere. Fast money's back in two.
2: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: Welcome back to Fast Money Earnings Alert on Intel. Shares of the chipmaker plunging after reporting a big earnings miss in its latest quarter. It also slashed guidance for the full year. Let's get to Christina Parts who's got the breakdown. Christina.
1: Well, Wall Street expected a bad report, but not this bad of a miss, where CEO Pat Gelsinger even admitted they, quote, must and will do better. So America's largest chipmaker, Intel, brings in about 50 percent of its revenue from selling chips to desktop and laptop makers. And given the economic slowdown, the company was forced to lower its full year revenue forecast. Earnings per share also came in 58% below estimates. That's the worst miss in over a decade. And then you had the worse than expected quarterly results that saw revenue decline 22% year over year in the quarter. That's the biggest top line miss with Refinitiv data going back to 1999. And we've seen this across the board. Chip firms are pivoting to data centric sed- segments, and Intel's data center and AI unit fell a billion and a half a dollars short of estimates as well. So the CEO just said on the call that I'm listening to right now, they won't hit their GPU targets either. Intel CEO in the press release said, quote, the sudden and rapid decline in economic activity was the largest driver, but the shortfall also reflects our own execution issues. And we can say Pat Galsinger will be on CNBC's Tech Check first tomorrow in the eleven AM eleven AM hour Eastern. Intel shares are down almost seven percent. Melissa?
0: Christina, thank you. Christina Partsanabolis. Okay, so a lot of big misses here. Data center, very important, big miss. Client computing, big miss. Gross margin, big miss. Operating margin, big miss. Gaidami, can you make a case for Intel here? Is it a value stock? It, it, Is it a value trap? And what's going no. on here?
3: It, it might, it might be more expensive now than it was an hour ago. I mean, you're right, big miss. Operating margin, just for a second, 9.2%. Street was looking for 18%. That's half. I can do that math. And a year ago, it was 34.9%. I don't know really what they're doing because literally they suck at everything. I mean, client, client computing was down 26% year over year. Data center down 16% year over year. It's... It's one of the worst quarters you've probably seen this entire year. I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that. And to answer your question about being, you know, is it a value play? No, I, I, I'm not sure what it is. At a certain point, it's going to be a turnaround play for somebody, but, but not at these prices. Yeah, Courtney.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest problem
5: that I see here is that they clearly have a demand issue, right? I mean, that's been the issue with chips in general is this demand deterioration that we're clearly has been a problem for them. And now you're seeing this come to light with Intel. Um, so longer term, I mean, yes, I think you're looking at here. It is a problem that 15 percent of um, computer sales are or computer sales are down 15 percent from a year earlier. And that's half of their revenue. So I, I don't think this is something you want to chase here by any means. Um, I just think you, you're, you're going to find some better opportunities elsewhere.
0: What would you like to uh, to hear from uh, Pat Gelsinger Bonwin tomorrow? I mean, what what? What question do you want to ask? I don't even know where I don't. I wouldn't know where to start with this. There are so many things to ask about.
6: Uh, I would probably drill down into the data center uh, miss. You know, um, as Courtney just mentioned, fifty percent of their sales uh, generated from PCs, and we know that PC demand is slowing. Okay, fine. You we that has that kind of uh, been proven to us. We understand that. But like, can you please explain to us or walk us through why we have the underperformance in this particular segment? which many of us expect you to do much better on. And then furthermore, can you please kind of give us a bit more detail into what the restructuring plan is and perhaps how government spending might help be somewhat of a tell when, I don't know, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm trying not to kick them while they're down. I'm grasping at straws. But, you know, it's really like, it, the, the real question is, can you expl- please explain the magnitude of the miss? Um, and and that, there's really not really not much else to ask. I mean, everything else is really in the numbers.
0: Yeah, and they talked about, the industry issues and their own execution issues. And so you got to wonder where the dividing line or the percentages are assigned when it comes to those two buckets, uh, you know, behind the shortfall, Dan.
4: Yeah, I think Courtney kind of nailed it. The demand issue has to do with years of execution problems mm-hmm. with different processes that people like, or you know, companies like AMD have just got in ahead the of them. And so, you know, you think back to a couple years ago. Remember when Third Point took an activist stake in there and they brought uh, Pat Gelsinger there and They were thinking about, you know, kind of separating certain businesses. And, and Gelsinger did a strategic review and they had a restructuring. And and here we are two years later, and the results are bad. The stock's lower. And I do think it's interesting that if this stock opens here tomorrow it's probably going to have a similar market cap to AMD and we've talked about that a little bit in the past it's not so important other than the, the, when you think about that, that Intel's likely to have three times the sales of AMD this year. And it just shows you that Wall Street or investors are just they're just having none of this. And it would be interesting to see if there are activists that might look to take a mm. stake here, because there are things that can be done to maybe accelerate um, a bit of this um, kind of restructuring or maybe look to like unlock some shareholder value in some way, shape or form with some of these faster growing businesses. All right.
0: Coming up, we're keeping an eye on the big tech stocks in the after hours. Apple and Amazon both on the move. Still, Amazon's conference call kicking off any minute right now. It's up 12 percent. We've got the details ahead. Plus, economist David Rosenberg joins us to dig into all the macro headlines from today. His thoughts on where the markets stand next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square.
1: Back right after this.
9: Now, there's no doubt we expect growth to be slower than last year and uh, the rapid clip we had. But that's consistent with the transition to a stable, steady growth and lower inflation. There's going to be a lot of chatter today on Wall Street and among pundits about whether we are in a recession. But if you look at our job market, consumer spending, business investment, we see signs of economic progress in the second quarter as well.
0: That was President Biden sounding very confident about the state of the economy following today's negative GDP print, but our next guest is much more bearish. No surprise if you know David Rosenberg. He is the founder and president of Rosenberg Research. He's worried that home sales are dropping fast. Mortgage apps are at their lowest levels in 20 years. Real capital spending is on track for a negative year, and the labor market is nowhere near as healthy as it seems. David, good to speak with you. Is it? I think so. I mean, if you think about what you said, isn't that exactly what the Fed wants? And so if if you if what you say is the truth and that we are headed for a much sharper slowdown more quickly than others think, then that means the pivot is closer than we think.
10: Well, I'm not so sure uh, about the pivot, depending on how you want to define it. I think there was a definitive change in tone and strategy uh, going from a pre-commitment to raise rates aggressively to data dependency that makes perfect sense Um, but it's going to take a lot for the Fed we're talking about a pivot as in you know cutting interest rates Um, the Fed is going to have to see the whites of the eyes of uh, the disinflation Uh, in the meantime they made it very clear that um, they're willing to accept a very weak economy to achieve their goals Uh, the only chairman that's ever raised rates into a recession was Paul Volcker Uh, Back in March of this year, in front of the Senate, uh, in an exchange with uh, Senator Shelby, uh, you know, Powell compared himself, uh, not to uh, uh, Arthur Burns and not to William Miller and not to Alan Greenspan, but to Paul Volcker. We know that Paul Volcker killed inflation by killing demand uh, for the greater good down the road. And I think that is the road that we're on right now.
0: Um, But but, you know, if you hear about an economy that is slowing in growth, but nearly everybody is employed, David, that there are plenty of jobs out there, and then you piece together what we're hearing from these tech giants like Amazon, which saw actually strength throughout the quarter in demand, and Apple, which is not seeing much of an impact at all on iPhone demand. Do you then piece together a picture um, that, you know, maybe it is possible that there is a soft landing to be had?
10: Well, I've never seen a soft landing, you know, with uh, sequential negative prints unreal GDP and frankly there's actually negative momentum it's really days yet into the third quarter a soft landing is not a contractionary economy a soft landing is when the economy is growing below potential that's not happening the economy is contracting now I understand that Jay Powell is not going to raise rates 75 basis points and then at the podium talk about how horrible the economy is uh, he can't possibly do that and keep a straight face but to talk about the labor market, uh, it's the last thing to go down in a recession. It is a coincident indicator. You know, the, the Fed is actually following um, contemporaneous or lagging indicators, and people should know that. Uh, they're focused on the unemployment rate. Uh, unemployment is actually one of the conference board's components of the index of lagging indicators. Is that really what you want to look at as an investor? Non-farm payrolls, the holy grail, is in the index of coincident indicators. Uh, and non-farm payrolls never once have ever given you the recession signal uh, as it's been happening. The only two components of the labor market that make it into the conference board's leading economic indicators is the manufacturing work week, which has rolled over significantly in the past three months and initial jobless claims. That's a leading indicator and they're up more than 50% from the lows and that is a recession signal. So I'd say that it's immaterial to talk to people today who wanna drive by looking through the front window about what employment's doing today. It really lags the cycle. I'd like to ask Jay Powell, where do you think employment's going to be three, six, 12 months from now, not where it is today? And my sense is that the labor market is going to be looking a lot different in the course of the next 12 months than it has in the past 12 months.
3: David, in terms of the market, I, I think it's i think it's taking its cues over the last couple of days because the data has been so weak and because there's this, Belief that somehow the Fed can take their foot off the gas in terms of hiking and maybe they'll even be accommodative again. So I'll play that out and say, okay, you want to play that game? If in fact that's the case, the thing they're trying to fight, inflation, is just going to get worse again because commodity prices are going to explode to the upside. Thoughts on that?
10: Well, I guess that you can say that words matter, but actions matter more. Uh, And the reality is that um, Powell still retains a de facto, what we used to call in the old days, a tightening bias. They didn't have an easing bias in the press statement. They had a tightening bias. All he said was, now that we've gone to neutral, we don't have to pre-commit to 50 or 75 basis points anymore. That's just logic. I don't know. I know what the stock market's interpreted a certain way, but we all know that the markets will just do what the markets do, whether it makes sense or not. I'm not gonna say, I think it'd be ridiculous to say that Powell was dovish. Um, He basically said, we have a Titan vice on the books. Uh, He's gonna be data dependent. Um, If we print negative payrolls or if inflation comes crashing down, which might happen, given what's happened with food and energy in the past little while, um, you know, maybe they'll go a small amount in September, maybe they won't go at all. We'll probably have a better feel for it with the uh, with the Jackson Hole Symposium in August. Um, but the sense that he pivoted, or the sense that he's turning dovish, uh, way, too, way too early for that. Here's what we know with certainty. We know with certainty that what the Fed does in time A has an impact on the economy four to six quarters down the road. I mean, these guys just started hiking rates in March aggressively in the face of a recession that they didn't anticipate remember when we went into this year the fed you know the fed gets accused of blowing it on transitory nobody says Mm -hmm. didn't you bungle it on the economy because in december they were calling for four percent real growth this year in june they cut it to one seven now we're going to be zero to slightly negative and so they bungled the real side of the economy too or maybe that's exactly what they want to kill inflation and the economy is going to pay the price for it but you see this is, I don't know the extent to which, or the magnitude of the recession. I just know it's going to last a lot longer than people think. Because right. we've already had two quarters of negative growth. A lot of that, mm-hmm. by the way, is from the fiscal policy contraction. Fiscal policy is contracting at a record amount this year. Nobody talks about the fiscal drag on the economy. And, and, and what the Fed's already done, 225 basis points, hasn't even shown up yet. Yeah. In terms of peak impact, that's going to be next year. So they can actually go on hold i don't care they can go on hold in september and the markets might go through another extended bear market rally but the risk is having tightened into the recession and this is a recession having tightened into the recession and not seeing all the lags kick in yet it's going to continue probably not just these past two quarters but the next four quarters and that'll Mm -hmm. be i think that'll be the the the, the real comeuppance uh, for risk assets when they realize oops it might not be a deeper session, uh, but it's going to be lasting longer than we had anticipated. Huh.
0: David, thank you. Always great to get your thoughts. Thank you, David Rosenberg. Dan Nathan.
4: Uh, listen, I followed Rosie's work for 20 years, um, he's mm-hmm. about as thoughtful as it gets. And one of the things I think is his superpower is his ability not to be in consensus. And that means that he's gonna be early sometime. But I really think that he's had this call correct. I know that you know some of us, and I think he was in that camp, that thought that inflation was gonna be tr- transitory. That's gonna be semantics, because look at how we've seen all of these kind of inflationary pressures they have come off if you look at it over a three year period they've been transitory his point I think is a really important one that he made about the Fed where they screwed up with their expectations for growth and then also keeping their foot on the pedal of easy monetary policy last year so when I think about what he just said to me I think investors better be prepared for longer duration of recession and I will tell you this the S&P 500 down 15% on the year no matter what you think you just heard from corporate earnings over the last two weeks is not going to encapsulate the recession that we're likely to have. And the last point we didn't even get to make, but you saw it up there on the screen, what he thinks about housing, he's pretty good at calling housing bubbles here. If that were to happen, the negative wealth effect of that and the stock market and all these other recessionary um, factors, I think is not a great setup. So to me, I do expect the S&P 500, it can maybe go a little bit higher here, but I expect a retest of those lows that we saw in June.
0: All right. Coming up, we're keeping an eye on the big tech names on the move in extended trading. Apple and Amazon both on the move here. Um, Amazon still holding on to a 12 percent gain. Fast Money friend Gene Munzer is back with a breakdown of the company quarters. That's next. Plus, check out Pfizer climbing into the green today in the back of its earnings. The move sparking some interest in the options markets. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert on Roku shares plunging 25% after its report. That would be the worst drop on record. Let's get to Julia Borson for the details. Julia.
8: That's right. Roku missed expectations on the top and bottom line. And most concerning for investors, it gave a grim warning about what's ahead, guiding to third quarter revenue of $700 million. That's far short the $902 million that analysts anticipated. CEO Anthony Wood writing uh, to shareholders, quote, in Q2, there was a significant slowdown in TV advertising spend due to the macroeconomic environment, which pressured our platform revenue growth. The company also warning that given the economic environment, it is withdrawing its full year revenue guidance. Wood forecasting that ad spend would continue to be negatively impacted and that consumer discretionary spend will moderate pressuring both Roku TV and Roku player sales. On the call, which is happening right now, Wood seems to be trying to strike a positive note saying that long term they are confident that TV ad dollars will continue to shift over to streaming. But Roku's headline of that ad and spending decline could bode badly for the media giants such as Paramount, Warner Brothers Discovery, both of which are reporting next week, as well as Disney the week after that. Melissa.
0: Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Sticking with tech earnings, let's take a look at the after-hours action in Apple and Amazon. Both the calls are underway right now. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures for more reaction to the numbers. He's been dialed into the call. Um, So, Gene, what are the highlights so far? Let's start with Apple.
11: Melissa, they guided revenue in line with expectations. You have to do some decoding of Luca's commentary Basically, there's a big FX impact, a 6% FX impact in the September quarter. You highlighted this going into the call. That in fact happened. Uh, You need to uh, factor that in. When you do that, essentially it looks like that the numbers for the September quarter on the top line are going to be in line with expectations. On the profitability side, they gave margin guidance that was fractionally below where the street is at for September. But they typically exceed that guidance. So I think when you kind of put it together, it was essentially a coast is clear with the September quarter. This is something that I was most nervous about going into the call, just given some of the discounting that they've been doing in China, and I was happy to see uh, them guide in line.
0: Yeah. And for Amazon, Gene?
11: Uh, Amazon. All the good news came, and they uh, when they put the press release out. The one takeaway is this: is accelerating revenue from 7% in the June quarter to 17%. Why is Amazon outpacing Walmart? The reason is that e-commerce is still in its infancy, and Amazon is reaping that. About 20% is bought online in the U.S., and Amazon's benefiting from that.
0: Gene, I'm going to ask you to pull out the history books, if there are history books for this, and that is, how do these how do these two stocks react in general to, um, you know, a recessionary environment? And, and I'm asking this because, you know, we have this sort of question, if rate hikes impacts aren't for quarters in the future, and we're getting a snapshot for what was the second quarter and for the third quarter at this point, Gene, we haven't actually seen any impact on the consumer yet. So maybe these these results, while good, aren't really reflective of what the environment will be.
11: Well, the history book would say to just look at the body of data that we have. And in this case, we have data points from some of the big tech companies and some of the traditional companies. And uh, my sense is that the traditional companies, big companies are stumbling. They're missing numbers. They are guiding down. But you see the results from, I guess, Apple in particular, the strength in it. And I think what's going on is very simple, is uh, there is a break here. And I think it underscores the dependency that we have, whether it's on Apple or Amazon, the dependency uh, that we continue to have, not just about the last two years, but just year in and year out. And I would, uh, so I think that they will do better. We're seeing them do better, which means that investors can sleep better at night owning companies like Mm -hmm. Apple. And I would just uh, offer one final piece. That doesn't mean that Apple is gonna be immune to any of these headwinds, things can change. But this was a really tell, the September guide was a huge tell about the strength that they have. And they're a conservative team and they're optimistic about September. So the simple takeaway is every company is going to be impacted and Apple in particular is doing a better job because people just simply want their products more.
0: Gene, thanks. Always good to speak with you. Gene Munster, I um, We you. should note that uh, Apple has paired some of its gains in the after hour session now up 2.8 percent versus the 4 percent that we saw uh, right after the print. Courtney, it's back. The notion that big cap tech may be defensive, may be the stock you want in a growth environment, in a contraction environment. I mean, it's it's the all weather stock. Do you believe that?
5: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit cautious on that. But um, I, what I do like, like take Apple, for example, they do have a lot of cash on their balance sheet. And I think that is something that could really um, allow them to weather through a down period better than some of their competitors or better than some of your smaller companies. Um, my, my hesitation here is even though it's come down in price significantly, it's still trading at a higher valuations than its 10 year average. Um, and it is trading at actually higher than the NASDAQ is. So You know, I think I would still want to look for some of your companies that are a little cheaper here. We do own it. I do want to
0: hold it for the long run. Um, I just
5: don't necessarily want to be actively adding a ton more cash here. All right.
0: Coming up, shares of Pfizer reversing course today on the back of earnings. And that at option traders plugging in will tell you how they're playing the name next. Plus, so many choices, so little time. The traders have their eyes on a couple of today's big movers. So are these names worth a buy? More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pfizer sitting out today's rally despite reporting record Q2 profits. Options traders still betting that the stock will find itself back in the green very soon. Mike Coe has the action. Mike.
6: Yeah, almost three times the average daily options volume and the flow was modestly bullish. The most active call options that I saw were the ones that expire at the end of next week. 52 and a half street calls. We saw 5,000 of those trade for about 55 cents, ultimately just under 12,000 traded. Those are obviously bets that the stock could rally at least four and a half percent by the end of next week.
0: All right. Thank you, Mike. Mike co- speaking of Pfizer, don't miss an exclusive interview with the CEO on Mad Money. Jim's got that coming your way at the top of the hour. And of course, for more options action, tomorrow's a full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we are homing in on today's uh, big stock movers. So which name should you be watching? The traders have their choices when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a trader's choice on a few of the big movers today. First up, Comcast, our parent company, sinking more than 9% despite beating estimates. The company saying it added no Peacock subscribers in the quarter. Guy, your take.
3: No subscribers for the first time ever. Ever is a long time. Everybody's darling this time last year. Nobody loves it now. Traded two times normal volume. I'll say this. 37, which it'll probably get to, will make a huge double bottom from The spring of 2020, I think you can buy it there, Melms.
0: All right. Up next, Chinese tech stocks sliding today. U.S. regulators pressing for audits of about 200 Chinese companies. They could face delisting if they do not comply. Dan.
4: Yeah, we often use the term kind of uninvestable. These were great growth stories when, I I mean, we just, I, I think the economy looked different. The global economy looked different. I think they're kind of still uninvestable. This is going to be a continued overhang in many of these names.
0: All right. On the plus side of things, Etsy surging nearly 10 percent after posting an earnings beat yesterday. Bonoin.
6: Mel, you know, I'm here to sprinkle in a little joy. So this was really kind of a trend for here. Hill. You, you know, you've seen the consumer saying, OK, consumer discretionary is suffering. Ad spend is suffering. Online e-commerce suffering. And for, you know, a, a company that was very much a pandemic darling to come out and knock the cover off the ball uh, definitely jumped out to me.
0: All right. And finally, Ford shares revved up, jumping six percent on better than expected earnings. They also reaffirmed guidance and raised the dividend. Courtney.
5: Yeah, what I really like here is not only do they beat their quarterly estimates, but they actually kept their full year guidance, which is really important because you're really seeing the consumer is getting constrained by inflation. That is not a problem. in The auto industry, they're actually basically not able to sell cars as fast as they can make them right now because there's so much pent up demand after the supply chain issues they had during covid. And I think that's going to be a really positive catalyst for them going forward. But also, you can look at them. I've talked about this previously in the EV space. Um, we actually saw their Ford F-150. That increased by um, 32% last month in sales. And they're expected to have 2 million electric vehicles per year by 2026. They've already gotten 70% of that battery capacity. So I think longer term, too, it trades at so much cheaper than some of your electric vehicle competitors.
0: All right, up next, final trades. the final tray, Let's go around
6: the horn. Bono in. I uh Formed a nice uptrend since that mid-July low. Uh, stick with it.
0: Courtney.
5: A Ford. I talked about this a little earlier, but stick with those companies that are not having demand issues. They're one of them.
0: Then
4: Nathan. Yeah, shout out to our old friend Josh Lipton for a great first quarter at Apple there, buddy. And also <laughs> Facebook. Meta. I'm starting to build a position
0: there. Hi, Josh. If you're watching, uh, Guy Dami.
3: Mel, I know you love that Benatendi move, right? It was right up your alley. 100. 100. Yeah, 100. You know what else is 100? Qualcomm it makes you wonder after that Intel report. Qualcomm, Melms.
0: All right. Thanks for watching. Fast. to see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.